Today's scripture reading comes from Romans chapter 8, verses 1 to 17. You can also follow along on page 7 of the bulletin. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, because through Christ Jesus, the law of the spirit of life set me free from the law of sin and death. For what the law was powerless to do in that it was weakened by the sinful nature, God did by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful man to be a sin offering. And so he condemned sin and sinful man in order that the righteous requirements of the law might be fully met in us who do not live according to the sinful nature, but according to the spirit. Those who live according to the sinful nature have their minds set on what that nature desires, but those who live in accordance with the Spirit have their minds set on what the Spirit desires. The mind of sinful man is death, but the mind controlled by the Spirit is life and peace. The sinful mind is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law, nor can it do so. Those controlled by the sinful nature cannot please God. You, however, are controlled not by the sinful nature, but by the Spirit, if the Spirit of God lives in you. And if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he does not belong to Christ. But if Christ is in you, your body is dead because of sin, yet your spirit is alive because of righteousness. And if the Spirit of him who was raised who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who lives in you. Therefore, brothers, we have an obligation, but it is not to live, it is not to, it is not to the sinful nature to live according to it. For if you live according to the sinful nature, you will die. But if by the spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live because those who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive a spirit that makes you a slave again to fear, but you received the spirit of sonship. And by him we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Now, if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ if indeed we share in his sufferings, in order that we may also share in his glory. This is the word of the Lord. Well, good morning, everyone. My name is Andrew, one of the pastors here at Metro. Uh, for those of you who are new or visiting, uh, we're in the middle of a very short sermon series called The Pillars of Faith. Uh, really several passages in the book of Romans. And today I get to preach on Romans 8. Um, some theologians say it's one of the greatest, most beautiful chapter, not just in the book of Romans, but like the whole Bible, right? It's, it's a big statement. And um, having studied it, I understand because there's so many things going on. Every verse is compact with rich theology, uh, with the gospel, and a lot of themes that we could touch on. But for sake of time, I'm only going to um, focus on one, adoption, Adoption is a theology of how God brought us, the church, into his family. And it's interesting. So the word adoption means, the fact that we are adopted into his family means that we were once orphans or strangers. And so one might ask, what does it mean to live like a spiritual orphan? Right? So 
imagine an orphan who had to survive in a society without parents. Like, can you imagine a child living in, in the center city uh, without any supervision, living in the streets alone? Can you imagine how scary it might be for them? Like, how, how overwhelmed with fear it must be for them? It's like that for us, spiritually. To live like a spiritual orphan is to, what I call, uh, live, as a, um, live in a fear-driven life. Fear-driven life is a way of living where your thoughts, your decisions, and your actions are predominantly motivated by fear. Again, fear-driven life is a way of living where your thoughts, your decisions, and your actions are predominantly motivated by fear. Let me give you one example. In 1991, Vanity Fair published a profile of Madonna in which she discussed her iron will. And she said, all of my will has always been to conquer some horrible feeling of inadequacy. I'm always struggling with that fear again and again. My drive in life is from uh, this horrible fear of being mediocre. This topic of fear is something that I believe every one of us could relate to. All of us struggle with fear in some shape or form. Some of us might be you know, struggling with fear of inadequacy like Madonna. Some of us might be struggling with uh, a fear of being a fraud or um, the what, imposter syndrome or fear of being found out maybe, right? Some of us might be struggling with the fear of um, failing as students, as parents, children, as friends, etc. Right? I too struggle with fear. And one of the reasons why this passage was so hard for me was not only because it was so good, uh, but the message in the chapter um, is something that I've been struggling with all my life. You know, I have a fear of, appro- uh, fear of approval. I hope you like the sermon. <laughs> you know? What is your fear? What are some of the things that is motivating, driving your thoughts, your decisions, your actions? What are you going to do about it? How can we, how can we change? <laughs> Romans 8 is beautiful, right? It teaches us that we have the Holy Spirit. We have the Holy Spirit. Chapter 8 is really about how the Holy Spirit ministers, uh, it, how it is ministering our fears and, and, and transforming us from fear to freedom, from orphans uh, to children, right? And the Spirit gives us three things according to the text. The Spirit gives us a spirit of freedom, spirit of power, and spirit of adoption. Spirit of freedom, power, adoption, okay? So freedom. Uh, for those of you who are uh, new to uh, or may not be familiar with the biblical narratives, um, let me give you some context. Uh, when Adam and Eve rebelled against God in their disobedience, sin entered humanity. As the first human being, Adam represented all of humanity before God. Uh, he was more than a president who represents a country. He was more than uh, a king that might represent a nation. He, he represented the world before God. Okay? And, and here's another thing I could say. If everyone who has ever lived had a vote 
to choose a representative for the world, we would have all unanimously voted for Adam, hands down, because there was no one more perfect than Adam. Okay? Yet he failed. And because he failed, as the perfect representative, we all failed deserving God's judgment. I mean, if Adam failed, we would have definitely failed <laughs> deserving God's judgment, condemnation, which is why verse 1 is so, like, incredible. I love this verse. I'm going to say it probably over and over again throughout my sermon. Friends, verse 1 says, There is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. There is now no condemnation. Now, no condemnation. Meaning, now. Not later after you fully obey. Not when you are a better person. Not later when you figure stuff out. Right now, if you're in Christ there's no condemnation. Now, no condemnation is a forensic or legal term used in a court of law, right? Basically, it's talking about God's judgment, righteous judgment on sinful people. However, the English translation, uh, it doesn't really do it justice or it doesn't really uh, fully capture the intensity of these words. There is now no condemnation ever at all. Period. Here's why this verse is so amazing and why it's so relevant for us. I don't know if you're like me, but I used to believe um, that um, if I confess my sins and live a good life, be a good boy, um, I'm forgiven. And, uh, and at that moment, I'm not condemned until, of course, uh, I sin. And... I feel like I'm under God's condemnation again, and I have to work my way back to his favor, right? I don't know if you felt that way, but I go back and forth sometimes growing up, like, thinking, oh, man, God's, still, God's mad at me. Oh, wait, God, God loves me. I'm doing good. You know, going back and forth, back and forth, um, feeling the shame, guilt, at the same time, peace, and I don't know, all that. But verse 1 says, there is now no condemnation ever. When we don't trust this verse, we will live in fear as orphans. We will fear that God will condemn us if we do something wrong. And of course, if, if it will affect our relationship with God, of course it's going to affect our relationship with people, right? Well, if, uh, you know, um, we're going to believe and, and be oversensitive and defensive when somebody criticizes us because the fear is that they will condemn us. And of course, that will affect even the way we view ourselves. Shame, guilt. Our passage gives us a beautiful message about our position in Christ. We have nothing to fear. But why? Because verse 2 and 3 teaches us that God sent his own son to be a sin offering so that we might have the spirit that sets us free. Jesus was condemned as a sinner so that we might be justified as his children. Just as Adam represented us in sin, Jesus Christ came as a perfect representative to bring redemption and restoration. This is the good news. This is the reason why you guys are here on Sunday, to hear the gospel. Right? Jesus lived the life that we should have lived and died the death that we should have died. There is now no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. But why did he do it? Have you ever thought that? Why did he do the cross? 
Verse 4 teaches us that Jesus endured the cross because he was uh, in order that we might walk, live according to the Spirit. He endured the cross so that we might live a holy life. Friends, Spirit teaches us, uh, ministers our hearts, saying that there is now no condemnation. We are free from God's judgment. But he doesn't just leave us there. He says, I'm going to give you the power to get out. I'm going to give you the power to overcome your fears and and your sins. So, spirit of power. Verse 5 says, those who live according to the sinful nature have their minds set on what the nature desires. But those who live accordance with the spirit have their minds set on what the spirit desires. So, let's define some terms. Sinful nature, what does that mean? Sinful nature can be also transited as flesh. Or simply put, it's the desire that is worldly rather than godly. Self-centered rather than Christ-centered. And the mind. One of the commentaries said, the mind is our uh, fundamental orientation, convictions, and the heart attitude that steers the course of our life. Again, the mind is our fundamental orientation, the convictions and the heart attitude that steers the course of our life. In, in other words, the mind is like a steering wheel of our life. What we occupy our minds with when there's no distraction during our free time is what's going to dictate the direction of our spiritual journey because that, whatever, our, whatever we're filling our minds with is really what our heart wants. So... Basically, when you set your mind on sinful desire, the worldly things, it means that you are becoming more ungodly and more focused on yourself than on Christ, which is why verse 6 says, the mind of sinful man is death rather than life and peace. And verse 7 and 8 says, sinful mind is hostile to God, does not submit to God, and cannot please God. Hostile, cannot submit, uh, cannot please you know, when people think of sinful nature, uh, many believe uh, it's talking about like heinous sins, like murder, stealing, cheating, gossip, you know what I mean, like the big sin. But in actually, when actually anything that we love above God is sinful. That means even the good things can be hostile to God if it's the ultimate things in your life. Two examples. One, career. Friends, work is, work is good. Whatever your uh, occupation is, uh, there's honor in everything that you do. Yet, when work becomes the ultimate thing and God gets pushed to the periphery, that's because you're placing your hope in what your careers will get you, give you, whether that's wealth, status, and power, or power. You know, those things are the true love of your heart. Let me give you relationships. Relationships are good in every context. However, if your children become your life, your boyfriend and girlfriend, your spouse become your world, your friends become your identity, you have pushed God to the side and made others your first love. Whether it's good things or bad things, when God is not first, we're not submitting to God the Father. And of course we can't please him. We're too, ble- we're too busy pleasing ourselves. 
you know, furthermore, worse yet, verse 9 says that if you are controlled by the sinful desires, you may not have the Spirit. Friends, if you don't have the Spirit, you may not have Christ, and Christ might not be in you. And if you don't have Christ and Christ is not in you, you may not be a child of God. And if you're not a child of God, you may not be a Christian. Some of us are probably thinking, you know, I, I thought, it, isn't that legalism? Isn't that too much rule following, too much religion? I'll say no. Friends, legalism is doing good things to gain something, but obedience is doing something that pleases God. You know, if, if, if obedience was legalism, then Jesus would, have been, would be the ultimate legalist because he obeyed God's law perfectly. Friends, although there is now no condemnation for us, we are called to submit to God's law as children should abide in their parents. So, friends, let me ask you, what is, what is your true love? Is it wealth? Is it status? Is it your family? Whatever it is, if you keep nurturing it, you will continue to live like orphans. You'll be anxious because, well, you don't have it, or depressed when you lose it. But the good news is, again, verse 11 teaches us that we have the spirit. We have the power to get out, right? It says, the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you. She who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies to the spirit who lives in you. Meaning, if we have the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead living inside of us, surely we have the same spirit that could resurrect our hearts who has the power to change us. And according to verse 13, to change, the key to change, to be free from our fears, is to put to death the misdeeds of the body. The putting to death process is what earlier theologians used to call mortification. Simply put, mortification means to be extremely diligent about killing our sins. John Owen, a Puritan pastor and a theologian, once said this, kill sin or sin be killing you. Friends, kill means kill. Kill doesn't mean beat up. Kill doesn't mean not to let certain things slide. You have to kill your sin. You have to demolish that, John. Completely. Kill sin before sin kills you. It's like when a doctor says, quit smoking before it kills you. Now, these verses should be enough motivation for us to kill sin. Um, yet on our own, we can't kill sin. Because to kill sin, you must hate sin. In order for you to hate sin, you must love God more than sin. To love God more than sin, Christ has to first love us. We learned so far that the Spirit uh, teaches us about freedom, how we are free from God's condemnation, but how he also gives us the power to change, how he gives us the power to obey, to be a good children. But where does the motivation come from? Where's the love? 
spirit of adoption. Read verse 14 with me. Those who are led by the spirit of God are sons of God. You know, in our days, using gender-specific language, uh, such as sons, to refer to men and women is, you know, it could appear inappropriate or insensitive. Uh, However, Paul uses this term quite boldly and intentionally. In ancient times, when one adopts a child, that child received all the inheritance, and and, and a lot of times they're treated better than the daughters. So when Paul uses sonship language in this male-powered society, he's trying to say that all who are in Christ, all who are led by the Spirit of God, including women, children, widows, and orphans who had no rights back then, right, will be treated as sons, will be treasured, will be cared for. So if anything, by using this, uh, this word, sons, Paul is being even more inclusive than you think. But now, what does it mean to be adopted? Verse 15, for you did not receive a spirit that makes you a slave again to fear, but you receive the spirit of sonship. And by him we cry, Abba, Father. You know, I lost my parents through a series of unfortunate events. And so I had to live with my uncle, my dad's older brother. I had to move in at a young age. And that's, that transition period was so rough. Uh, I mean, there's different things like um, different people, different rules, different environment. It took a lot of time for me to get used to it. But you see, the most difficult part about that transition was that I didn't actually know them that well. <laughs> like, we had the same name, right, Pei. Uh, we had the same blood, but we were relatives, but I didn't really know them. They're, they're pretty much strangers to me. So... They brought me in, and, and financially, they weren't, they weren't doing so well. Um, and so I, I lived in constant fear. And my past, if anything taught me, uh, if it taught me anything, it, it taught me that, you know, people might leave you if you're not useful. So I worked hard. I was a good boy. I, I did the chores. I helped them out in their business. And... You know, I, I, I cleaned up, I got out of the way. I, I had to justify, because I couldn't pay rent. I had to justify my, my living there. I have to earn my right to, believe, to live in that house. And I constantly lived in fear. So uh, one day, uh, my uncle took all of us to one of his favorite restaurants. You know, it was a restaurant that he went often. And, and so we went... We sat down, and the waiter, of course, knew my uncle and, the, and his family. And, and so he walks over to take our orders. And uh, he looks at me kind of funny. He's like, you know, I, I know the daughter, and I know the son. Who are you? And, I, I, you know, living in fear, I was like, well, hold on, let me explain. Let me explain. Like, I did all these things. I, I, you know, it's like weird. Like, why would you say that to a stranger, right? Like, I, I did the chores. I, I got the grades. I, I'm, I'm, I lived a good life. Like, I, I deserve to be on this table. And I was, actually, I was trying to explain all these things. 
um, to the waiter uh, until I, I caught a sight of my uncle who was looking at me intently, gently. And I looked at him. He looked at me. And he said, he's my son. When I heard those words, it changed everything. Because I still obeyed. I still worked hard to be a good boy. But it wasn't out of fear of abandonment. It was out of love. Friends, if this is the case on the earthly level, how much more so at the heavenly level? We have something so much better. You know, life could get hard. World may accuse you, and you may experience this at work every day. They might ask you, who are you without your pedigree, your talents, your beauty, your family, your children, your job, your status? Who are you without your friends? Who are you? And so when you listen to those things constantly and your mind is filled with those things, you start questioning yourself, who am I? Who am I without my family, my friends? Who am I without my reputation, my beauty, my status? Who am I? Who, who am I? When your mind is filled with these accusations, these thoughts, behold, God, the Father, will say, you are my sons, my children, my beloved. When those gentle whispers reaches your heart, it's going to change everything. You will no longer be slaves to fear. Why? You're children of God. But Andrew, how do I know that will last forever? There is no condemnation, sure. I mean, until I mess up again. You literally said it. Kill sin or kill, sin be killing you. Right? You literally said, I might not be a Christian. Well, where's my insurance? And friends, I'll say, look at the cross. Look at the price that God had to pay to purchase our adoption papers. For, you see, for my uncle to adopt me into the family, it cost him, like, money, resources, time, and all these different things. But for, for God to adopt all of us into his family, it cost him his son. And that son went to the cross. And on the cross, Jesus cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Did you know that was the first time Jesus referred to God as God rather than Father? Jesus, the Son of God, was becoming an orphan so that we who once were orphans could now become sons. Jesus cried, my God, my God, so that you and I might call him Abba, Father. And that's because Jesus was receiving the ultimate condemnation so that we might receive eternal justification. On the cross, Jesus prayed for us. He said, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. On the worst day of his life, on the worst day of his life, on the cross, what filled his mind and his heart was you. 
he endured the cross for the joy set before him, all of us, so that we might become his co-heirs. On the cross, Jesus cried, it is finished, which is one Greek word, telestai, and basically means I did it, I paid for it all. And verse 16 teaches us that Holy Spirit will, the Holy Spirit will testify, God, I appeal to you as a holy judge. Based on your justice, you will never make them pay twice. Jesus paid for it all. We are free. Friends, for those of us who are in Christ Jesus, there is now no condemnation, period. The ultimate assurance and the greatest motivation to kill our sins is Jesus. To be free from our sins and fears, we need to preach the gospel to our hearts daily. For as children need constant affirmation from their parents, we need constant reminders from God. To the degree you know you see the price that he has paid for you, uh, declaring us as his children, will be to the degree you will obey, but not out of fear, but love. You're going to want to do it. So friends, look at the love of Jesus that surpasses all that we hold dear. Look at the sacrifice and what it took for him to purchase our adoption papers. How can you not grow in your love for the Savior? Friends, this is the key. If you're living in fear, if you're suffering, this is the key. Fill your mind with the gospel. Preach the gospel of grace to your hearts and your mind daily. That will help you. And with the help of the Holy Spirit, we will be transformed from orphans to children, from fears to freedom. The question is, are you going to live like that? Walk as God's sons? Or are you going to continue to live and walk as slaves to fear? Let's pray.